Hello, my name is Julia, and this is the Media Podcast, where I talk about medicine in the context of media. Somebody who has gotten a lot of media attention lately is Gypsy Rose Blanchard. Gypsy has been making her rounds on mainstream news and podcasts to tell her story following her release from prison. If you are not familiar with this story, you came to the right place. Gypsy was in prison after her and her boyfriend conspired to murder her mother after many years of her mother essentially faking disease and disability in Gypsy, confining her to a wheelchair, putting her through surgeries, giving her medications when Gypsy was a totally healthy young girl. You may be thinking that no healthy person would do this to their child, and you would be right. Gypsy's mom had a condition called factitious disorder by proxy, or a factitious disorder imposed on another, or Munchausen syndrome, which basically causes you to falsify illness in somebody usually who you act as a caregiver for. You can also have a factitious disorder, plain and simple, where you fake an illness in yourself, but if it's in somebody else, then it referred to as by proxy or imposed on another. So while Gypsy has been getting a lot of attention, today we're focusing on Dee Dee Blanchard to talk about factitious disorder by proxy. I will also kind of go over the medicine about what was going on with Gypsy and how it maybe could have happened medically. So we have a lot to discuss. So let's start with their story and then we'll kind of get into factitious disorder by proxy and tie the two together. So when this murder first occurred in 2015, it got a lot of attention then too, because it is a wild story. There were interviews at that time with Gypsy, documentaries made, even a Hulu show called The Act, where Gypsy was played by Joey King. I'll be honest, I have not watched any of it. I truly find this story, honestly, the abuse that Gypsy faced in childhood, I find it incredibly disturbing, and I really have no interest in watching it play out. But I do remember when I first came out seeing this buzzfeed article about it and reading that and so that's where i'll be citing the background from today and what i'll be quoting and i will link that article below as well in case you want to read that but in this article it introduces gypsy describing her as follows gypsy was a tiny thing perhaps five feet tall as far as anyone could guess she was confined to a wheelchair her round face was overwhelmed by a pair of owlish glasses she was pale and skinny and her teeth were crumbling and painful she had a feeding tube. Sometimes Dee Dee had to drag an oxygen tank around with them. Nasal cannula looped around Gypsy's small ears. Ask about her daughter's diagnoses and Dee Dee would reel off a list as long as her arm. Chromosomal defects, muscular dystrophy, epilepsy, severe asthma, sleep apnea, eye problems. It had always been that way, Dee Dee said, ever since Gypsy was a baby. She had spent time in neonatal intensive care. She had leukemia as a toddler. And when talking about Gypsy's peer relationships, it said that Dee Dee would often remind people that her daughter had brain damage. She had to be homeschooled because she'd never be able to keep up with the other kids. Gypsy had the mind of a child of seven, Dee Dee said. It was important to remember that in dealing with her. These little excerpts both describe Gypsy's upbringing in the medical care she was getting and in her limitations when it came to basically any social interactions. She was very much isolated from kids her age. And then even in the people that were able to interact with her, her mom would 
convince other people that Gypsy wouldn't understand what they were trying to say because she was too developmentally delayed. Her mom raised her as a very sick child and kept her confined to quite a little bubble. Their world was really just the two of them. And because of that, they were very, very close and they had what seemed like a perfect mother daughter relationship, especially given their hardships. People like neighbors and doctors were quoted talking about how just incredible and devoted and dedicated Didi was and how happy they seemed together. And for Gypsy, this was her life as long as she could remember doctor's visits, operations, medications and a super close relationship with her mom and a mom that she completely depended on. Otherwise, she obviously didn't really understand what was going on. She was told she was sick and she needed these things, so she believed it. But I think the older she got, as you can imagine, she started to see all the holes in this kind of picture that mom had painted for her. One day, Gypsy posted on Facebook, quote, the bitch is dead, end quote. And that night, police went into their home and she, they found Dee Dee's body that looked like it had been dead for several days already. After Gypsy was found, the article said it turned out that, in fact, Gypsy hadn't used a wheelchair from the moment she left the house a few days earlier. She didn't need one. She could walk just fine. There was nothing wrong with her muscles. She had no medication or oxygen tank with her either. Her hair was short and spiky, but she wasn't bald. Her head had simply been shaved all her life to make her appear ill. She was well-spoken, if shaken by recent events. The disabled child she'd been in the eyes of others was nowhere to be found. It was all a fraud, she told the police. All of it, every last bit, her mother made her do it. So what was going on in their home? When it all started, Gypsy was a healthy baby, and when she was a few months old, her mom was convinced that she had sleep apnea, which means she would randomly stop breathing when she was asleep. So Dee Dee took her to the hospital multiple times. She had many workups for this, probably more than was necessary, many sleep studies, and all the workups were totally reassuring, but the mom was already insistent on more workup and insistent that Gypsy was very sick. She told her dad when she was also very, very young that Gypsy had a chromosomal defect, which was spiraling to cause all of these other problems. And her dad wasn't living at home, wasn't totally in the picture. Mom was taking her to these alleged doctor visits. And so what could dad really do besides believe what mom was saying? In terms of the medical care that Gypsy was receiving as a child, Let's kind of go over a few. So Dee Dee told doctors that Gypsy had seizures every few months, so they put her on anti-seizure meds. Dee Dee claimed that her daughter had muscular dystrophy and confined her to a wheelchair. Her eye muscles were repeatedly operated on because Dee Dee said that they were weak. She had tubes in her ears for reported ear infections, and she had a feeding tube and depended on cans of Pediasure into her 20s for all of her nutritional support. Her salivary glands were injected with Botox, and so that could be done if you're producing too much saliva, and so that could cause, obviously, a lot of drooling, but it also could cause you to choke on your own saliva. And so in kids that can't control their own secretions, Botox is a great choice. Gypsy had Botox. Then her mother was complaining that she was still drooling too much and completely removed her salivary glands, so had them surgically taken out. And her teeth were rotted and had to be extracted. Reading this, it's crazy that a mother would do this, but it also is wild how doctors did all these interventions. That was something I was really trying to wrap my head around, too, when I was going through this. You know, a lot of medical care comes from history taking. We rely on the parents a lot. And 
In the U.S., we don't have what's called an integrated healthcare system. That's when all of your medical records could kind of be found in one place. So in some other countries, you can have like an ID number. It might be equivalent to like your social security number. And then all of your medical records are under that same number. In the U.S., that's not the case. And pretty much any hospital system where you receive care will give you a different patient identifier and all of your records are completely separate between them and they can't be accessed without getting permission from the patient if it's a child then the patient's parent and even still sometimes transferring records can be really complicated and so a lot of doctors must have just taken Dee Dee at her word because they had nothing to refer to so for some things it's really easy to see how her lies could lead to treatment let's say like Parents take their kids to urgent care all the time for ear infections or different local clinics, whatever. It's easy to lie and say, oh, she gets ear infections all the time. So it makes sense that they're like, oh, she's had a certain amount of ear infections over the past couple years. These tubes are indicated because that is something that's done pretty commonly in young kids who have recurrent ear infections. Same with her seizures. So like ideally, doctors will do an EEG, which looks at the electricity in your brain to confirm seizure activity. But sometimes if you're not actively seizing while you're in the hospital setting, getting that EEG, your EEG could look completely normal. And that doesn't mean that you don't have seizures. So if she's giving a story that's very consistent with seizures and these episodes are recurrent, like DD's claiming, then sometimes it makes sense to start a anti-seizure medication, even though the doctors have not really confirmed seizure activity. She can also lie about how much oral secretions Gypsy's having, but... That usually is something that's clinically apparent. So I don't really know how she was able to get that type of intervention. But also, who knows? She could have been faking things, giving gypsy medications that make her salivate more. We really don't know what was going on at home. The eye operations are also very surprising to me because, again, you would expect like a full assessment by ophthalmology and neurologists to confirm that her eye muscles are actually weak. But again, who knows? Dee also could have used medications to affect the muscle strength in her eyes. It's really hard to know how much was was storytelling and how much was Dee Dee controlling the narrative in terms of the feeding tube. Of course, Dee Dee could lie about how much Gypsy was eating, but you won't give a kid a tube just for poor eating if they're still growing well. So you would expect that Gypsy was growing normally. But again, we don't know if that was the case. Like mom could have been completely starving her at home or maybe she was just very convincing in getting this tube in. So in retrospect, there's really no way to know how Dee Dee was manipulating this clinical picture and who was to blame for what in terms of why all this intervention was even allowed to be done. In terms of muscular dystrophy, this one was really wild to me that she could fake something like that because... The diagnosis is easy to confirm with genetic testing, MRI imaging, biopsy of the muscles, but she had all that work up and it was all negative. Dee Dee, one could say she even got lucky in a way because they were living in Louisiana in 2005 when Hurricane Katrina hit. So after that point, Dee Dee would just tell all the new providers that all of the previous medical records were destroyed, which in fact they were not. But again, because there's no integrated healthcare system here, they couldn't access those records without... Didi's permission or without contacting that hospital, they didn't just appear on line. So even though there was previous documentation that Gypsy did not have muscular dystrophy, Didi would tell everyone that she did have it and continue to treat her as she did. 
Even still, one doctor in 2007 became suspicious that Gypsy did not have it because in the case of muscular dystrophy, your muscles literally waste away. So it's very easy to see that. And Gypsy was like developing normally. You can have something in muscular dystrophy called pseudohypertrophy. So instead of your calves like withering away, they grow, but it's because your muscles replaced by fat tissue. So either way, either your muscles can look really kind of wasted away or you can have the pseudohypertrophy. She was totally normal. Also, if your muscles are wasting away, they're probably not functional. You're going to have things like abnormal reflexes and function on your exam. And this was completely normal. He even, with mom's insisting, retested her for muscular dystrophy. And again, the workup was normal. And he made her stand up in the office to show she could do it. And she could. She was completely able to bear her weight. He spoke to her previous doctors and they said that Gypsy did not have the diagnosis. They told Dee Dee and then she stopped taking Gypsy to see them. And this recurred with the same neurologist. She just found another doctor because this one wasn't able to indulge her. So this whole picture was like a big jumbled up mess of like Dee Dee's lies and her seeking all these different providers and the providers not having access to any of her medical records that allowed Gypsy to be arguably not only abused by mom, but abused by the healthcare system that was giving her all these unnecessary surgeries and procedures. At the time that this article was written in 2016, Gypsy said that she felt freer in prison than she did living with her mom, which is not terribly hard to believe given the environment she grew up in and all of the things that she had to go through and having really nobody else to turn to besides her abuser. So why was her mom doing all of that to her? Like I mentioned, no healthy person would do this to their child. So Dee Dee obviously had something going on. We can't really diagnose someone who's dead, and I'll explain why when we talk about diagnosing this condition, but the most likely diagnosis is factitious disorder by proxy or Munchausen syndrome. Munchausen syndrome is a mental disorder that was named after Baron Munchausen, who was a famous storyteller alive in the 1700s who would tell stories that were false and just ridiculously exaggerated. So they named this after him because in the case of Munchausen syndrome, you're exaggerating the story. You're creating all these false things going on to receive medical treatment for illnesses that you don't have, essentially. So the name for Munchausen syndrome has been changed to factitious disorder just because that name better explains the disorder because it's factitious. I think Munchausen, from what I could see, was a was a fine guy. A lot of these conditions that are named for a person are changed because the person turns out to be like a Nazi. To my knowledge, Munchausen was just just a crazy poet. So it's not problematic to say Munchausen's or anything like that. But the preferred name for the disorder is factitious disorder. So it is very hard to know how common factitious disorder is because the disorder is created on deception. And so... It's really impossible to know how many people have it because most people get away with it. Factitious disorder is more common in women and healthcare workers and specifically factitious disorder by proxy, which is when you're falsifying an illness on someone else. More than 95% of these perpetrators are the mother of a patient. In nearly every case, though, the person that they're imposing this fake illness upon 
is somebody in their care. So it's most often a child under six, but sometimes it can be like a disabled person or an elderly person, somebody who's dependent on someone else. So of the typical picture, they all apply to DD. She had worked as a nurse's aide, so she worked, she had some background in medicine. She is a woman. She's a mom. And she was imposing this illness on her child from very early on, from when Gypsy was just months old. And usually for factitious disorder by proxy, that's how it starts. Typically, the child is sick with something and is hospitalized. And that kind of starts this narrative in the parent's mind that the child is extremely sick, even if it's just a hospitalization for like the flu or dehydration from diarrhea or some of the really common things we see. And usually they're totally fine. But it seeing your child in the hospital kind of gives parents this idea that they're extremely ill and they can't really let go of it. I think an initial workup for Gypsy probably was appropriate. That just shows that this story started like most do. So an initial hospitalization for a legitimate reason. And in general, in this condition, usually parents have some dramatic but very inconsistent medical history. They've been to multiple hospitals before. They're very eager to have medical interventions done or have procedures or surgeries. And if workup is negative, parents will kind of make up new symptoms that the child just started having to kind of urge the provider to do more workup. And something that's pretty common is symptoms only when the patient is alone and not being observed by a healthcare provider. And so a lot of these things popped up in Gypsy's story. I have personally had one patient where I was very suspicious of factitious disorder by proxy, and this was very much the case for that patient. The parent was very much urging more and more invasive procedures, and the kid had already had an endoscopy done, so that is a little camera that goes down your throat into your stomach to look for any problems. You need to be sedated for it. It is not nothing, especially for this six-year-old boy. It was totally normal. Mom wanted more procedures, more surgeries, and she kept reporting that at home. This patient looked so sick, wouldn't eat anything, wouldn't touch anything, couldn't get out of bed, was just laying around. And in the hospital, this kid was could not get enough of this hospital food, was eating everything on his plate, brownies, chicken fingers, pizza. He was eating everything we put in front of him, and he was literally bouncing off the walls. I had this patient, again, because these parents always want more workup, they always come back. I had this patient three times in one month because they kept coming back in to get more tests done, even though everything was completely normal and he looked so healthy in the hospital. And every time I went to discharge this patient, I could not find him because he was running around the hospital. He couldn't even stay in his room. He was going to the playroom. He was running up and down the hallways. He wanted to go to the cafeteria. Like this was not an ill-appearing child. But it did not at all match with what mom was telling us he was like at home. For victims of factitious disorder by proxy, so the children in the scenario, the mortality rate can be between 6 and 22%, which is a lot. And the most common forms of harm in these kids are poisoning and suffocation. So in general, like I mentioned, with Gypsy, we didn't really know exactly what was going on at home. Even when Gypsy talks about the things she had to take in terms of medications and whatnot, she didn't really know what mom was giving her. And so... Sometimes, in the case of factitious disorder by proxy, it's all lies and storytelling. And other times, 
maybe the parents want to actually make the child sick. So it's more convincing to healthcare providers. So they can really lean into the role. And so poisoning the patients, giving them sedating medications like tranquilizers, which is thought to have maybe been the case with Gypsy, that is not uncommon either to really, really sell this sick role that the parents are portraying. Some of the risk factors for developing factitious disorder by proxy, so for the parent, um, include abuse or neglect as a child, which Gigi reported. She said that she had been abused by her father, experiencing a true medical condition that led to extensive treatment in childhood for themselves, past important relationships with a physician, or having malicious intent towards the medical profession. And when we talk about these risk factors in the patient that I had mentioned as well, this mom had had a history of a very serious eating disorder for which she was hospitalized for quite some time and she was very sick. And so that again comes up with this history red flag and that they've had a complex medical history themselves, lots of relationships with medical providers and things like that. And obviously through that, a lot of familiarity with medical terminology. And comorbidity, so some diagnoses that tend to go along with factitious disorder include personality disorders and mood disorders. So let's run through this diagnostic criteria and again kind of relate it back to D.D. Blanchard. So criteria A is the falsification of physical or psychological signs or symptoms or induction of injury or disease in another associated with identified deception. So falsifying signs or symptoms, so in this case keeping Gypsy in a wheelchair, shaving her head, giving her an oxygen tank. These are all creating fake signs and symptoms that make her appear ill. And I've touched on this multiple times, but in addition to these like props to make her look ill, we don't know what Dee Dee was giving Gypsy. And so I won't say that she was poisoning her or giving her medication to sedate her or make her drool or make her eye muscles weak because we have no idea, but all of those things are possible. So to make these patients appear ill, the parent could do that just by dressing them up as a sick person, or they could be actually drugging the child to make them look very ill. Criteria B, the individual presents another individual, their victim, to others as ill, impaired, or injured. Obviously, that's what Dee Dee was doing with Gypsy. She was presenting her to others, as very much ill, impaired, injured, and kind of telling this long, sad story of her dark medical history. Criteria C, the deceptive behavior is evident even in the absence of obvious external rewards. And so this is important to keep in mind because there's another condition called malingering, which is not a mental illness, but malingering is faking illness for obvious rewards. So like time off of work, monetary compensation, things like that. So this is where things get a little bit interesting with Dee Dee because I don't think she was doing this for external rewards. I think this was more so for the medical attention and the sympathy and for having Gypsy be so dependent on her and for her to seem like this devoted, incredible mother. But it does say in the article, which I linked below, that Dee Dee and Gypsy received a Habitat for Humanity house, and this was the largest benefit that Dee Dee had gotten at that time, and it, quote, seemed to give her an appetite for more. And then after that, she was pursuing other monetary benefits and, like, a -a make-a-wish trip and things like that. And so 
those things sound more like malingering and that she then was kind of seeking these external rewards. But again, I still think her initial incentive in all of this was more the role of being the caregiver to Gypsy. It wasn't the thing she was getting from the outside. I definitely don't think that that's how this started. So that's something you always have to keep in mind when diagnosing factitious disorder, the idea that they could be malingering. But I don't think that was the case in this situation. And criteria D, the behavior is not better explained by another mental disorder, such as delusional disorder or another psychotic disorder. This is also a bit dicey for Dee Dee. Again, during her lifetime, I don't know if she was ever diagnosed with anything, but Gypsy speculated that her mom had bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. So if all of her behavior could have been because she was delusional or psychotic, then she may not have fictitious disorder. So who knows? Is it possible that she was psychotic all along? Maybe. But um, I think probably less likely. And like I said, it's very common to have other mood disorders. So like bipolar disorder falls under the category of mood disorder with factitious disorder. So she definitely could have had bipolar disorder and schizophrenia as well without those being responsible for her behavior. So what's the motivation behind factitious disorder imposed on another So like what I was saying, I think was the case with Dee Dee in general, it's usually just done to gain sympathy and special attention from other people. And this seemed to work for sure in this case where Gypsy and Dee Dee were so loved and admired in their community and by some medical providers. Some started to like kind of catch on, but lots of other ones really spoke highly of the family. And how is factitious disorder imposed on another diagnosed It is very challenging. Just like I said, it's hard to know how many cases exist. It's also very hard to diagnose because of the dishonesty. So healthcare providers must rule out any possible physical illness that would cause the symptoms that are being reported. And they often use a lot of tests and procedures before they can consider even diagnosing the adult caregiver with something like factitious disorder. And usually the caregiver will just seek care elsewhere when they don't get what they want. So it really is hard to address. And original practitioners may not know that the parents are taking the kids somewhere else. And so, like I said, they won't have access. Not only do you not have access to previous records, but you don't have access to future records. So you can't kind of see those red flags pop up. So it is very hard to diagnose this from a physician's perspective. And because providers will often be seeing the child but it's the adult that gets the diagnosis that could complicate things further but at the end of the day this is absolutely a form of child abuse and so if doctors are super suspicious of the caregiver then they could always involve child protective services legal team social work things like that and they can kind of take the next steps in solving this problem but like I said The parents can be super deceptive. They can be quick to flee the scene when they're not getting what they want. And so it really is hard to have continuity with these patients enough to pin down what's really going on. And how would we even treat something like this? So it's challenging to treat people with factitious disorder imposed on another because they will deny that there's any problem. They really are very deep into their lives and they I think genuinely believe what they're saying a lot of the time and don't really know what's true and what's not and what is going on with their child and with them and so the recommended course of treatment would be psychotherapy for the parent 
to kind of help them identify their thoughts and feelings that are causing them to do this to their child and to learn to form healthy relationships with healthy people. And we talk about treating factitious disorder by proxy by treating the person that has it, which is the parent. But obviously for a lot of kids, if they're old enough to understand what's going on, this is tough for them too. I mean, look at Gypsy. And so in that case, obviously I would recommend therapy and counseling for the child and obviously making sure they're in a safe, caring environment. And it's challenging because sometimes the children with factitious disorder learn to love the attention from being sick. And then even if they know that they're well, they might also develop factitious disorder imposed on self to continue being in that sick role and getting that love and attention as a sick person. So to me, this is all very interesting, all very wild. I don't know. Like I said with Dee, we can't diagnose her because she died. But, you know, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably factitious disorder by proxy. If you listen to this episode, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I hope that you learned something and... Yeah, if you have any follow-up questions or topics to recommend, you can message me on TikTok or Instagram at mediapodcast, M-D-I-A podcast, or email me at mediapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.